We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com B-E. The journey towards unlocking unlimited potential begins with you. So you can't teach any student. You can't, you can't do anything for anyone before you've served yourself, before you know why you're doing what you're doing, before you understand why your fire is lit, before you understand how to keep the fuel burning and how to keep it going and going into a bigger, big flame like a bonfire. Dr. Chris Jones here, and welcome to Seeing to Lead, a show designed to help leaders increase their ability to effectively support, engage, and empower their staff through intentional practices so that they create an environment where everyone reaches their greatest level of success. On Seeing to Lead, communication rules the day as we hear voices from both teachers and leaders in an effort to examine perspectives, highlight misunderstandings, and provide steps to ultimately bridge the gap between what teachers need and provide through thoughtful dialogue. This show is about amplifying voices, creating understanding, and providing information to help everyone continually improve. I want to personally thank you for taking the time. Now, let's get to getting better. Dr. Brandon Beck is an educator, speaker, coach, and author of Unlocking Unlimited Potential, understanding the infinite power within to guide any student towards success. He's also the host of the Unlocking Unlimited Potential Story Show, a live show and podcast where he interviews inspiring people sharing their inspiring stories. Brandon's a national board certified teacher and also holds a doctorate in educational leadership. Matter of fact, Brandon's also a college professor, consultant, results coach, and editor and reviewer for AASA Journal of Scholarship and Practice. He's a regular keynote speaker at state, regional, and national conferences. Brandon is also a professional soccer coach and instructor for the United States Soccer Federation. So um, you can probably tell by this background that I am pretty excited to be talking to Brandon today. So welcome to the show. I appreciate that. It's a lot of commas. Yeah, a whole lot of commas in that. (laughs) (laughs) But all important stuff. So why don't I just start out, you know, by uh, asking you if you can round that out a little bit for the listeners and uh, add a little bit of what you're currently doing and, and what that looks like. Yeah, absolutely. I am an educator in all the things that I do. Uh, my daytime gig is being a teacher during the school year. And in the evenings, I'm usually a coach on a soccer field somewhere locally or in a larger area working with coaches and working build soccer and communities. And in my summer, I'm a, a keynote speaker and workshop creator and working with really pushing forward the work from my book, Unlocking Unlimited Potential, but also the work that's going on currently and education that we need to keep having in our schools. You know, when we talked a little bit on the pre-show, but I know we're going to jump into it, but that shift in education. Yeah, no, that that shift is incredibly important. That um, And one of the reasons I like talking to people like you, because you're you're all in, so to speak, on that. So 
just real quick, let I mean, let's talk about your book for a second, Unlocking Unlimited Potential. I mean, that is that's an engaging title if I ever heard one. And uh, I personally believe that to unlock somebody's unlimited potential, right? You can you can take that so far, but ultimately it's on them and empowering them to take those extra steps. So could you could you tell us a little bit about that and what somebody would find in those pages? Yeah, absolutely. The book is, um, it's funny you said that the title, I, I thought long and hard for the title. I actually walked around with a notebook for about two months, just writing down a bunch of different titles. The book at first was actually Close Your Door and Teach. And some of the feedback that I received was that it was a little bit self-centered because I wasn't saying close the door and shut the world out. I was saying that, you know, educators know the students they work with more often really well. And, you know, we need to be able to use that to our advantage. And in order for us to use that to our advantage, it it starts with us, you know, the, the foundation of unlocking unlimited potential. I mean, to me, that's really, when I was thinking about the cover and the title, I was thinking like, what would be my philosophy? What would be my phrase? What would be my, my core value of what I believe as an educator? And what I really believe is that, you know, everybody has a, a limitless amount of potential and it's our duty. And I think that's not necessarily our duty, but it's what we sign up for. We sign up, we raise our hand, we go jump into the ring. We, you know, we go swimming with sharks and, and we, we take on these more and more challenges. And I just believe that's because when you hit that point in your career, when you hit that point where you feel like you're, you're really achieving that you're, you're just kind of flying on autopilot because your students have just gone above and beyond their voice has been amplified. They're leading the learning and you're the facilitator. That's perfect. And I, I love the idea that you said the students are, uh, the students are right in it. They jump right in and they're leading the learning. And the reason I like that is because you made the news recently. And uh, your classroom made the news, the students made the news for Peaches the Poodle. And you had forwarded this to me. And I, I just, I found it awesome because we talk about, we talk about therapy dogs and we bring therapy dogs in, in and things like that. And, you know, unless it's part of a program, a one-time visit isn't really it, right? It just checks the box, but we don't want to be checking the boxes. We want to take this thing out and really make something of it. So why don't you... Talk to talk to the listeners about Peaches of Poodle. It's a fantastic story. Yeah. Uh, so three years ago, I read a time for kids to my students, my fifth graders. And it was about these dogs in the United States that are all over the schools that go into schools and work with kids and basically, you know, become, you know, regular visitors to the to the environment. And of course, anytime you read something to that, like that to 10, 11 year old kids, the first thing they say is, oh, come on, can we do that? Will you do that, Dr. Beck? <laughs> right. And so my, I kind of laughed it off. And then, you know, I, I went home and read the same article to my own children who were five and eight at the time, who, by the way, loved dogs, had been asking for dogs for years. You know, every, every little girl, you know, that I've heard of is always wants a puppy, right? And so... I kind of, you know, when they had that interest, I I got intrigued and I did some digging and I reached out to Time for Kids and they sent me back the contact for the Mud Grease program. And I contacted this woman and she's basically like, what kind of dog do you want? And I was like, what? (laughs) Um, I just wanted a little information. She's like, okay. And, you know, a very passionate woman by the name of Jane Vitale. And 
an amazing woman with an amazing story. And the whole organization, it's, you know, part of an, uh, an animal rescue organization called the Animal League of America. And we rescued her from the North Shore Animal League out in Long Island. And basically what happens is they work with the shelters to take dogs out of shelters to reverse the stereotype of service animals being purebreds. And so it's the whole idea of like a second chance, being able to get them to, you know, um, you know, kind of change the narrative. Right. And so it's a really cool thing and they take them to the schools. And so I contacted her, we had this conversation and she's like, all right, what do you want? I'm like, all right, first things first, hypoallergenic dog. I don't want any hair. I don't want to deal with those allergies. She's like, I'm like, I'm thinking like a golden doodle. I'm thinking like now the golden doodles are not dogs you usually find in shelters. I'm like, all right, yeah, I'm just throwing it out there. My, my wife is super clean. I can't get a dog that has fur. I, it won't happen. And so she's like, no problem. It usually takes like three to six months. So I was like, great. Three to six months. Perfect. It was like January. That would put me to like June. Perfect time. Summer, whatever. She contacts me three days later. And she's like, Brandon, okay. what do you think about a poodle? I was like, uh, I don't, first of all, I, I've never had a dog before, mind you. So I don't know what that means to have a poodle. So I look up on the internet because of course, all I think about when you see, think poodle is, you know, the dogs with the fluffy butts that are, you know, the show dogs that you see on Thanksgiving day. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of rummaging through stuff on the internet. And she's like, Brandon, you'll love her. She'll, she'll run with you. She'll, she's really, they'll be really great with kids. And I was like, all right, good. I go home. She sends me a picture and it's a picture of this black, like, stuffed animal like laying on its back and 17 little hands just all petting her. I'm like, is, is that a stuffed animal? And she's like, no, that's peaches. I was like, Oh my God. I was like, I'm getting a dog. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. As soon as you saw that. Yeah. It's a a, kind of, that's kind of the story of how we got her, you know, that started before the pandemic, mind you. And then I, you know, we slowly transitioned her. I had to train her. I got her a professional trainer. I worked with a professional trainer. I brought my own children to the professional trainer. So she'd be used to working with kids. And then it was like a system to get her into the school. You know, I think that one of the reasons there's not a lot more programs like this in schools. I mean, there are many, but I think one of the reasons is, is because there's not those pathways, right? We have to be able to create those pathways and, and kind of deal with the logistics along the way and waivers and such and, you know, legalities. There's but there's a, if there's a will, there's a way to make it work. And that's what I think is really awesome about my school district is they've been 1000% in support of it um, in every single way. And like from day one. So that, that to me was, was inspiring. It just kind of took off. We have a before school program. Sometimes it's kids who, you know, just want, you know, want to be in a different environment, you know, kids that are, you know, really intelligent, or sometimes it's kids who really don't want to go to school. It's just a wide variety of kids and everybody has a chance to come and usually have like six to 10 kids there. And it's a weekly program. These kids that some of them didn't want to come to school, but now they're holding up the door and taking a taxi to work and their taxi to school and they're 10, 11 years old. And, you know, it kind of gets you thinking a little bit, something's, something's kind of working here. And as my work has continued with the school and with the dog. It's just taken off. Like this year we did a, uh, an opt out policy. So like, if you want to, you you had to opt, you had to have a permission slip signed before. Now it was, if you don't want to interact with the dog, you have to opt out. Like you have to do that. And we have had zero opt outs and we've had, she, it was because 
so many kids when she was walking in the hall, so many kids wanted to just say hello. So many kids wanted to come by if they were feeling a certain thing. Like I'm, I, I'm walking with this dog. Other teachers are taking her out. She's in with other teachers in the building. She moves around the school. She works with hundreds of kids. And, you know, it was interesting because yeah, the news came and did a, they were in our room for like two hours yesterday and they were recovering the story. And it was just really amazing to see that to me that they were ready to cover that story, to cover the story uh, that, <laughs> that we need to hear as educators. And, and it was the story of students serving and creating a community service project where they figured out how to make DIY toy dog toys with paper bags and toilet paper rolls. And they incorporated the whole school and donated blankets and, you know, did research projects, proposed to the principal. They did all of these great things. They proposed, they did a presentation to the school board and literally gave them a TED talk basically about what it is, why we do it, how we do it, what we need to keep doing. They reflected on it. I mean, those are the kinds of stories that I want to hear. I'm sick and tired of the burnout, sick and tired of why are teachers leaving? And okay, yeah, they are leaving. They are 1000% leaving, but there's a lot of educators who are sticking true to who they are and staying in and digging their heels in. And I'm proud to be one of them. And I know you are too, my man. Absolutely. And I love that people can't see you because this is a video, but you are all fired up while you're talking about it. It's fantastic. You know, something I'm thinking about, you, you mentioned the word pathways. And when I hear pathways, I think about entry points, right? Because everybody's got a different entry point. And I agree with you 100%. Shout out to those teachers that are digging in and just decide, you know, this is, I'm not accepting the idea that this is where we have to be forever and that we're moving forward. One of the things I wonder, though, is you say your district is supportive in the, in the whole idea with the dog and so forth. But not all districts are like that. So what did you do or what can be done by people to get principals, leaders, superintendents, whoever, um, the people that can pull the levers or break down the barriers? What entry point can you create for them so that they're willing to move forward and support you in something like this? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I got to come at it from two angles. I got to come at it from the, the teacher angle first, because I, I always come from my teacher hat on because that's what I'm always doing. And for me, honestly, in my 20 years of education, I've had, let's see, seven different administrators, you know, seven different, that's just principals. I've had another, you know, eight to 12 other different pieces of leadership. But, you know, from the teacher lens, it's always been just kind of understanding that we're on, we're, nobody's, there's not a hierarchy here. Like, I'm not better than you. You're not better than me. I'm, uh, you know, we're on a team, right? And, and you know, you're the, you, you went to school longer, you went and got the certificate, you did the internship, you want to make phone calls and you want to deal with all those other things outside of education, you know, outside of the classroom. And I'm applaud it so much, but, you know, for me, it's always been coming to it and basically saying, being vulnerable and saying, all right, you're going to do my evaluation, my score. You're going to rank me highly effective, effective, three, four, two, four, whatever. And I don't, I don't put a lot of weight on those numbers. I put a lot of weight on our conversation. I tell the person that I'm going to, you know, have the evaluation for it. I say to them, look, this is something new and I want your feedback on it. And 10 out of 10 times with every one of those people, I've gotten quality feedback and I've gotten someone on the other side of the table that helped 
make me better as an educator. So I, I think that I've always had that relationship. Like I, I, I can honestly tell you, you know, there's always positive negatives of all administrators, but I've always felt like I've had freedom to fly and I'm lucky. I'm really lucky. And I think that, you know, it's also part of the district that I'm in. I'm in a, a school district that is very culturally diverse in my opinion, but also has a, you know, I'm a, I'm a dual language teacher in an English zone of a, of the dual language program. So my students as fifth graders, I have two classes in the morning. I had, I teach them English in the afternoon, they go to Spanish. So I signed on to this about 10 years ago and it's a lot of times seems like double the work it is, it's double the students, it's double the bodies, double the humans in a different kind of organized amount of time. But I've just felt embraced in the community. I felt embraced by the people in the community. I felt embraced by my students. I've had, I have a school that is 500 fifth graders. So it's a, it's a pretty big school in my opinion. That's one grade, 500 students. And I happen to be, because I'm in the dual language program, five out of 17 of those classes are dual language programs. So I've had the opportunity to actually have families come through the program. So I've had, you know, families of three, I've been doing this and it's just been a rewarding experience. So just kind of, I've been always given that, that platitude. I think it was part of my taking the initiative and raising my hand and someone on the other side was always saying, yeah, you can do it. Like, go for it. What do you need from me? And I've been, I've been fortunate for that. From the administrator side, as a leader, I mean, you, you, it's, there's, there's no easy answer. You're not going to please every single one, every person, every individual, the individual's you know, that you're working with, each one requires a little bit, you know, a little bit something different. But I think if you listen, and I think, you know, if we go to, you know, each other as team players, as being a team, I think that's, you know, as a coach myself, I think that's the best coach too, because, you know, you just can't be one, one cog kind of rolling around you, you know, together, you're so much more important, you're so much stronger. I'm glad you brought that up because it made me think as you were talking and how you've always felt embraced by your community. But to me, it strikes me, I mean, somebody that steps up to be part of a dual language program and things like that, it it strikes me as you were embraced by your community because you embraced them first. And you didn't just embrace the school part of them. You embrace the whole part of them, the whole child. And I know that's a phrase that gets overused and things like that, but it's, it's always, you know, it's, I see a lot of people struggle with embracing every aspect of somebody because nobody has, nobody's perfect all the time or hundred percent of the time. And for all the good qualities they have, there are things that they do that are, you know, maybe little quirks or, or negative things that people have trouble looking past or getting past when they're working with students and leaders do this too. I, you know, I, I talk to some leaders that don't want to go into a teacher's room for a walkthrough because they they don't like this type of thing the teacher does or they had a disagreement with them. So there's that uncomfortableness. So kudos to you for embracing every aspect of those students. And I think that's why you've been embraced in return. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting you say that because I like that to me is is something that I haven't always had in, in, and I've had it in many different capacities, but it's funny because the national board certification, and I always think about this because I, I don't, it kind of did one, I took, had one huge takeaway from the national board certification process and I did it 
I think it was like six years ago and it was before they changed it over to the new process that they have now. And, and I failed the test, by the way. I failed the test. I had to retake it. So I had to wait a year to retake it, by the way. Thank you, National Board. I now know <laughs> why there are rainbows, okay? If anybody comes in my classroom, I'm going to know why a rainbow happens and I'm going to know how to create that lesson for third graders that you asked me to do in 30 minutes when I was sitting at a computer. Sidebar there, back on point, <laughs> National Board certification, okay? One thing I took away from that was they took, uh, they, they really, that idea of innovation, that idea of authenticity, that idea of student-led, student-led, student-led. When we had to film ourselves, we had to make sure that we were using a student, we were creating a student-led environment. The student created every aspect down to the wire, down to the objectives, down to what we were learning. And it was interesting because I did it with three other teachers at the time. And we really, you know, we struggled a little bit in thinking like that because that's not really what we're pushing out in schools with these curriculums and scripts and, and all these different companies that are going in 73 different directions. And so that idea to me always stuck with me and it stuck with the people around me. And I just kind of started noticing it in other, other places is, you know, how can we get to that point of, you know, really, you're right. The, the students should be leading this whole thing. You know, that's why I really support you know, project-based learning, community service, project-based learning, um, those kind of opportunities, they create like long-lasting change in society, not just long-lasting change in individuals, not just in a school, but like, like not like ripples, but waves. And I think that that's really cool. So I got a chicken or the egg uh, question for you because of something you just said. You talk about, and I, you know, it, it hits home because we do talk about getting a curriculum, right? You want to get a curriculum and install a curriculum in this grade or that grade, whether it's a social studies, English, math curriculum or anything, comes with assessments, out of the box stuff. And there's, so there's a strong argument against that when you're talking about project-based service learning, student-centered and all that entails. That's the argument against that. The argument for that though, is that when you take that curriculum away, you create disparities between classrooms based on teachers and what they want to teach and what they're comfortable with. So here's my chicken or the egg. If we want to make real change, do we have to, where do we go with the boxed curriculum? Um, and is that something we need to install first as a crutch and then slowly pull it away or as a scaffold type thing that we would use in a classroom? Or how do we address the mindset of teachers so that they don't say, you know what, I'm comfortable with dinosaurs, so I'm going to teach dinosaurs for two months in my classroom. Or a U.S. history teacher in high school, and I'm not using any examples of people I know or anything, but just things that float out there. You know, I'm, I'm most comfortable with the Gilded Age, so I'm going to spend the most time on the Gilded Age um, or something like that. What, what do we do first? Do we, do we trash the curriculum and then try and work with the teachers, or do we keep the curriculum, work with the teachers, and then trash it? Listen, I want to make it really clear that I do not believe that curriculum is trash. I do not. And I want to make it, mm -hmm. I want to make that very clear because you're going to have a curriculum. Usually people put some time and effort into choosing it. I mean, usually that's in my experience, that's what I've seen. It's, but, you know, I think what's really important too, when it comes to whatever we're teaching is, is being able to sift through the curriculum and pull out those big ideas together as a team. So we're all getting through there together because as a team, we can all kind of land on the same 
plots along the roadmap, so to speak, and have, but we can have like different exit points of getting there. You know, I work with a lot of students that are, I have students in my class who are on an eighth grade reading level. And I have students who came to the school, who came to the United States from Ecuador four months ago, two months ago. So, and, and I'm a monolingual lingual. It's funny because in that, in that video, they, uh, when it, in the, when the news channel came and they finally published it, they, they had me speak in Spanish and I was hilarious because I just try to say a few words here and there, but I, you know, I have a whole story about that, but that's, that's neither <laughs> here nor gone, but what, you know, coming back to that, like, and it also, it's all a part of it. So like the foundation, obviously in school, like this, a lot of this, this scripted stuff could be pushed down into the the schools, you know, so the, the, our newer teachers are coming out with a little bit more of a roadmap, a little bit more of options along the way. Um, some people, some educators need that. It's just like any educator that's out there, but even the developing, the, you know, those first-time teachers, some of them need that self-guided discovery. Some of them need a mentor. Some of them need a coach. Actually, and that's where I go to with it all. Like, everybody needs one. Everybody needs, everybody needs a coach, you know, and that's been really what's been an amazing part of all of writing this book and, you know, being able to connect with Darren Peppard and stuff is I've been able to coach and work with educators that are coming to the table saying, Hey, I want to get better. And I want to work, meet with you once a month, twice a month, four times a month. And I want to be involved in your process. And I want to go from being a, you know, where I am now to a writer, to a speaker, to an author. And I'm not saying that I'm the best person there is for that. And you can ask my clients what they think. But what I'm saying is I've always kind of just thought that all of those parts are important to the process of making a better educator, like having somebody to check in on you, whether it's individually or in a group or in a group setting, it's, it's shifting the focus. It's shifting our focus in the way we do things because, you know, as much as we can do that and it all, it's all about time. Like I never, 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 never believe that we need to take everything and just throw it on its head. I can tell you that in my time, I've probably taught 55 different curriculums, you know, in 20 years. But I've all, I feel that I've always been effective in some way, shape or form because I've just left it on the line. I've, you know, left, I walk out of the school sweating, you know, breathing heavy, like sitting down and like, whoa, I did it today. And I think, you know, I think that that's to get to that point. It's, it's revert. It's funny you say all this because I keep saying that because I'm running into it so much now because I'm really getting out there and starting to speak in person about the work that's happening in this book that I haven't been able to do because it was published during the pandemic when everybody was at home. I couldn't even have like a release party with my family. I was like, I, it was crazy time. And so being able to get out there and schools, this is what I love is that schools are contacting me and saying, I want you to come and I want you to do three, two hour workshops. I want you to come and I want you to speak. I want you to open up for this. I have summer camps that are contacting me that are saying, I want to do this. I'm so appreciative that people are starting to look at education in this lens, in this innovative lens, in like flipping the script and saying, let's not have Joe Schmo from ABCD EFG company. Let's have, you know, let's have this person who's a great educator with this awesome book. Let's have this network of individuals. Let's have, you know, let's have these guys come in and, and coach and, and let's, let's reach out to each other because 
if there's any way that I've gotten to being happy where I am as an educator, it's because of my connections. So. Well, it's, it's funny that you said that the way you did, because here's the not so little secret. Nobody wants to suck at what they do. I open, when I give workshops or presentations or anything like that, I, I open with that. Look, if people are doing the best they can and they want to get better. Nobody wants to come to work and say, you know what? I think I'm going to suck today. That's just not the case. And, and sometimes that gets lost in, in all the rhetoric that gets thrown around with people. One of the things I want to talk to you about, because you're talking about child, you almost hit on the idea of child development with curriculum and how that curriculum becomes less scripted and more about frameworks as the student develops more, which we could accelerate that depending on how we approach it in the classroom. But what I want to do is um, take a quick break to hear from our sponsors and then come back and talk to you about what your idea of a school would look like that's kind of that's kind of getting all this done at once. Today's podcast is sponsored by Better Leaders, Better Schools, the podcast that inspired me to start this one. Since 2015, the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast has released hundreds of episodes with millions of downloads. Subscribe and listen each week to great conversations on the topic of school leadership. I use Anchor to distribute the Seeing to Lead podcast because I find it to be the best tool to suit my busy schedule. Anchor has everything I need all in one place, offers hands-free distribution to everywhere podcasts are heard, and is free to use. I can use anywhere from some to all of its features based on what I need at the time. On top of all that, you can be mobile, recording, editing, and distributing all right from your phone. You can also easily make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So go download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Okay, and we're back with Dr. Brandon Beck. And, um, you know, we've been talking about a lot of things. We talked about Peaches the Poodle and what that looked like and how that came about in the classroom, you know, through empowering your students and student voice. We've talked about a little bit about unlocking and limited potential and what that's what that's about and and how important that is for students directing education, the education they need. And we even got into the framework discussion a little bit. The question I have for you, Brandon, after after hearing all this is if I were to walk into your school the way it should be run with, you know, student voice, everybody empowered from the students to the teachers, what am I looking at? What do I see? What do I feel? when I go in in a building. You would be walking into the school that I'm in right now with the addition of me being able to be released from my classroom in some sort of capacity for longer periods of time so that I could work with my dog Peaches and and do the work that gets to be done with groups and smaller groups of kids. And you know, I also like the opportunity to work with young men as well and be a mentor and role model and Peaches makes that experience better. So if I can increase that a little bit, you know, my school is, I love it. We blast music every single morning. Um, The students are happy to be there. It's kind of a little bit of a school within a school as well, because the dual language program, those five classes kind of shift together all the way up from from pre-K. So there is like, there's people who know each other and have developed friendships along the way, as opposed to being like spread out across 12 other classes. So yeah, that would be my spot. You know, I've, I said it before, like I've always felt like I've had the wings to fly and I've been there for 20 years. So the school's always been like that. 
I've always felt the opportunity to be able to do whatever I've wanted to do. And, and because it's always been about the students. So yeah, absolutely. It's always been about that. That's fantastic. That's to have, to have a building that you work in that, um, you know, has already has all the, the makings that it needs to make sure that teachers feel as if they can do what they want to do and really empowers the students to just be connected to it is fantastic. Yeah, it is. It is. And, you know, I'm happy to be there. And I say it to everybody that, you know, they're like, oh, what are you going to do next? And yes, well, I'm like, I bring my dog to school every day. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> right. It's kind of hard to beat that, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then I go on the soccer field in the evenings and, you know, I have a, have a busy life and it's good. And I get to spend time with my kids and my family and my wife and my three children, my three daughters. So that's, I'm lucky. So, and I'm happy about that. But on the other side of it, I think, you know, it's really important that people just kind of try to find ways to embrace where they are, but also, you know, you got to find a way to, to find your inner happiness. And that's through understanding your purpose. That's understanding why you're doing what you're doing. I was just going to say, I'm so glad you said that. Cause I was just going to say, maybe I'll just title this episode, live in your dream. But um, when you said that, it made me think. Living on, of, I think it's like uh, living on a prayer. With them. Yeah, the, yeah ah. with Bon Jovi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Halfway um, there. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Living on a prayer. There you go. That's a good one. <laughs> that, that is a good one. That's that's on my favorite list. It pops up on Sirius when I'm driving around. I kind of felt like that a couple of times this school year, though. Listen, that's yeah. a good song. Part yeah, of the playlist. It's it's a good song. It's part of the playlist. But the I'll idea play that, that tomorrow, it, <laughs> the idea that you feel that way, is great and just really kind of drives home the point that you're making about look, let's let's push all the negative behind us. Like yeah. there's so much negative, you could drown in negative. Um, why do you ever even get in the pool? There's there's no reason to even get involved in it. Sure, bad things happen. Sure, there's negative situations. But I was taught when I was talking at graduation. I said to him, I said, everybody just take a second and see if you can ever remember a time ever that any situation was made better by being negative. And, and you can't. Um, so there's a time to step past that. But yeah, be- absolutely. No, absolutely. And they, people talk a lot about toxic positivity and it's the, not at all what it is. I'm not saying dismiss anything that's real. And right. I think that's important in, in the conversation because I just think, that part of my purpose in terms of my, you know, my purpose of what I do as I am posting or tweeting or, you know, promoting is just promoting hope, promoting inspiration. And if I just help one person, I always feel that that's more than enough because helping one person is going to lead to more and it's going to keep happening. And I feel that we need that out there. And that was something that I kind of discovered. Like I wasn't really on social media actually at all before the pandemic. It wasn't until I actually started, you know, going around and saying that I was going to get a book published and I finally, you know, got it published and by Codebreaker and Brian Aspinall and, you know, finally had a chance to take the writing to the next level. And, and then it just kind of turned into, well, okay, well, what's unlocking a limited potential going to be. And I just, I had worked with it. I mean, it was pieces, some of it was pieces of my dissertation that I wrote, which was about working with teachers of emergent bilinguals 
because I had no idea what I was doing. And I was like, hey, maybe I can learn. Maybe there's some other people out there that maybe they feel the same way. And I found that out. Yeah. So I, was, I wasn't alone, but it was that idea of self-efficacy, right? It was that idea of being like, that was the biggest thing that I really took away that I wanted to keep working on in my craft and in my profession was being able to get ourselves to the next level, you know, because it all starts with us. Awesome. So that being said, right, the next level, I've got two questions I ask everybody that comes on the podcast. We're getting near the end. So I'm going to throw them out there. You talk about going to the next level and everything. If you weren't an educator, who, not what would you be? That's a really tough question because I guess a coach is an educator. I guess a snowboard coach is an educator. Those are, those are places I probably would be if I wasn't a teacher. But if I wasn't an educator, I would, I would try really hard to be a DJ because I love to put DJ, but I wouldn't do very well. So I'd need to like a real gig and I would have been a lawyer. I definitely would kind of going through the process of education and I wouldn't get into education law. I've just always been kind of interested in the, in the, the profession of law and just reading about policies and laws and things like that just kind of got me thinking. And I think it's, it's cool to, to be able to, to advocate for others, give them a voice. And I don't know that, that to me was always the thing. <laughs> I like, I, I like your answer. I, I like more the reason behind it, being able to advocate for people. And isn't that what you do now? I mean, you advocate for what students need and, and you're the voice where maybe, because let's, let's be honest, right? People do. Wait, if I at, was young enough to be a YouTuber, maybe I would have been a YouTuber because I didn't have that um, when I was growing up. There you maybe go. I'd be a, maybe I'd be a famous YouTuber and like, I'd love to be able to give away like millions of dollars of stuff. That'd be cool too. Wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah. Like, hey, you want a new car? Here's a new car. Yeah. You know, it's funny you say YouTuber. I'm going to tell a story that people really haven't heard about me. Do you, so I don't know if you remember making mixtapes where you'd have to break off the safeties after you made them and stuff and you had the double tape deck. Am, am I dating myself or? No, no, we're right on the same page, dude. So I got you. My, my friends and I, we actually sat down and made a tape where we all had different parts. So maybe I was supposed to do a podcast. We all had different parts where we would just make up jokes about like the Pepsi taste challenge in the supermarket parking lot and just do, just do these ridiculous recordings. But that's my, that's my little bit of embarrassment. It never got picked up by MTV or anybody, but you know. We just put it on this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. If I could find it, that'd be gold. There'd That's, be a lot of people that pay me money it. for that. <laughs> Gotta wipe off the dust on yeah. the cassettes. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the last question, as we're getting to this, I, and I mean, th- thanks for all the, all the information you've been giving us and, and all this uh, great advice, but what's the biggest piece of advice you would give to leaders as they work to better support, engage, and empower those they serve? Absolutely. I say this at the the last words of my book. I say this every time I end a podcast, the journey towards unlocking unlimited potential begins with you. So you can't teach any student. You You can't do anything for anyone before you've served yourself, before you know why you're doing what you're doing, before you understand why your fire is lit, before you understand how to keep the fuel burning and how to keep it going and going into a bigger, big flame like a bonfire. And you're just trying to find your way through the days. Sometimes you need that bonfire to really be glowing. So the journey, it begins with you. And I think if we, if we look in the mirror and continue to focus on us and get ourselves kind of pointed in the right direction, understand quality habits, 
understand ways to schedule and plan our days, understand ways that are, you know, good performance habits, reading, writing, and, you know, listening to podcasts and listening to TED Talks. Like those are things that you should kind of be using to continue to keep yourself going. And and most importantly, find, find a team as well, because once you get accountability and you have someone to work with you or coach you through it, then you'll find your way. Fantastic. Look, you've, you've said so much today. People, I, I'm sure people are going to want to get in touch with you. So what's, what's the best way people can get in touch with you? Absolutely. BrandonBeckEDU.com is my website and BrandonBeckEDU is all my socials. So it's pretty easy. Um, I also, I have a something for you newsletter. I'm celebrating today the 10th issue. I just kind of came up with this idea of, I wanted to create a newsletter with resources and tips, you know, kind of like yours, obviously inspired by good educators like yourself. And I enjoy your newsletter and I enjoy your family updates. That's actually pretty cool. Oh, thanks. Um, (laughs) Yeah, no, it is. And so I'm, you know, in terms of the newsletter is just, I created around three parts, reflect, learn, and grow. And I created three segments and, you know, I give for each of those sections, I give you something for you. I give you an article, a lesson plan, a resource, a template, something that will help you in your personal and professional journey. And I'm celebrating doing 10 because I committed to doing it on the first and 15th every month. When you talk about habits, it's just been something that's been exciting for me because I've been able to take the things that I've been working on and find more resources, dig a little bit deeper and be able to kind of just create some cool documents along the way to, to keep the learning going for others. And it's completely free, but the only thing you got to do is you got to sign up. So I think that's worth it. <laughs> Absolutely worth it. I tell you what, I'll put a link in the show notes. Awesome. So we'll have we'll have your Twitter in the show notes. We'll link up to your website and we'll link up to that newsletter. And as soon as you mentioned it, I didn't want to interrupt you, but uh, it's it's good stuff. It's a nice job. I, I've seen it come through and I, I like it. It's good stuff. Appreciate that. So no, I do. I really do. I appreciate that. Just trying to continue to share the work and, you know, we need to kind of rely on each other. And, and that's just my contribution, yeah. I guess. Well, you're you're putting out a heck of a contribution that we're all benefiting from. So keep it up. You're doing great. And I'm I'm super glad to know you and to be able to have you on here. No, I appreciate it. Great to finally connect and uh, in person and uh, just awesome, dude. It's been great. Right. East Coast, represent. <laughs> there you go. Have a good one. Well, that's a wrap, but not the end. Next step, be sure to take action on something you heard here today. Thanks for listening to the Scene to Lead podcast. If you'd like to connect for any reason, email me at drchrissj at gmail.com or catch me on Twitter at Dr. C.S. Jones. If you've gotten any value from the Scene to Lead podcast, you can help me and other leaders create a world-class environment through a teacher-centric approach by subscribing to the show, leaving an honest rating and review, and sharing this episode on social media with your most valuable takeaway. Learn more at drcsjones.blog. Continue to improve and go have a successful week. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning. 
which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com B-E.